All right, so today's word comes from Genesis chapter 41, verses 40 to 48. This is the word of the Lord. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the, son, the daughter of Potpharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe all over all the earth. As were the Lord. Amen. Can you guys hear me? All right. Let me open us in a word of prayer, and let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Uh, gracious and loving Father, we uh, praise you, Lord God, um, that you are good and you are faithful, and you bless your people, and um, you bless us through your Son, uh, who did not have to die our death, but uh, chose to. And because of that, um, we are a blessed people, and we thank you for the testimonies that um, Allison and Dan can share. Thank you for the worship um, that uh, Peter and his family could render up to you, um, and how we can join together with our voices to proclaim how good you are. We pray now that you would speak to us through your word. Remind us um, of who you are. Remind us of what you've done in Egypt through Joseph, um, but also for Joseph. And I pray that um, the, in the end, we would be a people of hope and that our hope would actually deepen and strengthen during this time um, so that we would be um, bright lights um, and salt um, in this earth. So bless our time together, uh, grant us illumination by your spirit, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I was thinking about this message, um, I thought generationally, and as I thought about my own family, um, I realized that every generation has challenges. So when I look to my grandparents, um, who are no longer with me because they passed away uh, about a decade ago, their big challenge was um, the Korean War. Um, so they had to escape from North Korea to South Korea, and it was no easy task. And they even lost um, one child along the way and almost lost a second child, namely my father. So they went through a lot, and they resettled in South Korea and had to rebuild their lives. That was their challenge. They lost everything, and they had to rebuild once again in the context of sorrow and hardships. And when I look at my parents' generation, they too had to suffer. And they, that generation went through a difficult time. I think their hardship was moving to a new land. Um, they came with little money, uh, few contacts, and they had to learn a culture, learn a language, find a job, raise a family, etc. So that was their challenge. And I thought about my generation, and I'm 47, 48 years old now, and some of you are probably around my age, maybe a little bit younger. Um, what is our challenge? Um, I think some would say maybe 2008, but I don't know how much 2008 impacted us, and that was the, the big financial crisis. I think if we look at our generation, we're probably going through the challenge of our generation, and that is a pandemic. Uh, we've been locked up in our own homes. 
um, and not just the social isolation, but all the, the, the implications of it. And I think we're going to feel the implications of it for the years to come in terms of the economy and um, other things that are taking place in society. But I would also say the racial tension that our nation is going through, that's going to be one of the challenges of our generation. And I would say a third thing um, would be the divisiveness um, in our country. Um, so 40, uh, 40, 78 million people voted for, for Biden. Um, 74 million people voted for Trump. Um, Christians on both sides. So there is a, a divisiveness, not just in terms of political parties, but there's also a divisiveness when it comes to the church. And even heavyweight ministers have weighed in on this and they don't agree. So even churches and families are being divided. There's a spirit of divisiveness in our society. And so these are some of the difficult things that we're going through. But when we look at it from a scriptural point of view, it's really interesting. And I think Romans chapter 4 comes to mind. No, Romans chapter 5, actually. And I was almost tempted to preach on Romans chapter 5. And Romans chapter 5 begins with this, this beautiful notion that we have peace with God. And we have peace with God because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have access to God. We can commune with God. We can experience God. Uh, we stand in his grace and we can discern his voice and we can feel his love and he can strengthen us for the tasks that he's calling us to do. But then the Apostle Paul in his great theology and wisdom talks about suffering. He says, yeah, there's suffering even though you have peace with God, but because you have peace with God, your suffering is transformed. And so what we need to do is we need to persevere. And if we persevere and show grit during that suffering, that's going to produce character. In fact, character cannot be forged unless there is suffering and there is perseverance simultaneously. And so when we persevere, we build character. And when we build character, we have the ability to hope. And if indeed those three things that I mentioned, the racial tension, the pandemic and its implications and the divisiveness, if those three things are the challenges of our time in our generation, then it affords us to build character. And if our character is built up during this time, then we would be a people of unwavering hope. And people don't really talk about hope all that much. Um, to me, the connotation of hope is a high school thing and it's very weak. And so you hope that uh, she will say yes when you ask her to the prom or um, you hope that uh, you will be asked to the prom or you hope that you would get into your first choice uh, college or you hope uh, that you would land that internship. So it seems like a flimsy word, but in scripture, it's one of the most powerful things. And only those who have maturity and character, who suffered and persevered, only those people have hope. And according to Paul, this hope doesn't disappoint us um, because God has placed that hope in us and God is faithful to the end. So believe it or not, we live in a season where we can deepen in our character and we can deepen in our hope. So this is directly proportional for the church and for believers. The more we go through trials and the more difficult our times become, the more hope that we can have. So believe it or not, we're going through a season where God is refining and deepening and strengthening our hope. And that's the perspective that I wanted to share with you this, this morning, well, close to this afternoon, that we would shine in our hope, that we would deepen in our hope. And I think one of the ways we can do that is by looking at the narrative of Joseph's life, because Joseph's life shows us um, a beautiful paradigm. And when we see that paradigm, we will be, I think, 
strengthened in our hope and our resolve to be faithful to God, to keep our post, to keep doing what God has called us to do, uh, to never give up, uh, to continue to love and serve, uh, continue to be faithful, to be a witness, um, to even be filled with joy um, and have that joy be the strength because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so I think the first point that we need to really look at uh, when we look at Joseph's life is that Joseph is part of a greater narrative. And I think that great narrative we can pick up in different places. Um, I think we can even pick it up in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, but I want to pick it up from Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, um, a couple generations removed, um, maybe four generations removed, there's a great promise. And this is what God says to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And I think we need to focus on this because this is the great promise that God gives to the patriarch Abram at this time, later known as Abraham. And I think we need to look at this in conjunction with the chapter that precedes it, which is the Tower of Babel. And I think the, the language in chapter 12 and chapter 11 are so similar, and they're aiming for similar things that Moses, who probably wrote most of Genesis, is welcoming the reader to compare and contrast. And if we do that, um, Babel is the kingdom of man. Um, Babel is created um, to make a name for themselves, lest they be scattered around the world. And they want to rival um, God, uh, make a tower so high that they can rival God. And it's about ingenuity. It's about technology. It's about ushering a utopian age. Um, and they really want to make a great name for themselves. And notice that in the end, nothing happens. Uh, God looks from above, and they're so far down, which means they're so below God. They didn't reach any heights. God has to see what they're doing, and so it's laughable what they do. They can never usher in utopia uh, from human technology and human ingenuity and building bricks and mortar and stacking one on top of the other. And so it comes to nothing. And so that episode uh, is a debacle. Nothing happens. But then we come to chapter 12, and that language is used once again. And uh, God picks up that language. And what does he say? Well, he says to Abraham, or Abram at this time, you know what? I'm going to make you into a great nation. That's what the people at Babel wanted. They don't get it. God is the one who gives it. And not only that, he says, I will bless you. The people at Babel were looking for a blessing, and they wanted to bless themselves. And in the end, they don't get it. But Abram and his family gets it. And notice in chapter 11, they want to make a great name for themselves. And what does God say? I will make your name great. And so all the things that the architects and the builders of Babel wanted, they don't get. But all of the things that Abram is not even looking for, he gets. And it underlines God's grace. And it underlines God's promises. And it will underline in the future everything that the architects of Babel wanted, they didn't get, but God gave it to Abraham in his grace. And so what we see here um, is um, God's blessing, and his blessing does not stop with just Abraham and his immediate family. It is a global blessing. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Um, so whoever you can imagine, they will be blessed because of Abraham and his seed. 
Um, so his family will be a blessing. So his son, Isaac, will be a blessing. And his son, uh, Jacob, will be a blessing. And his sons um, would be a blessing, Joseph included. So we picked up the narrative and we follow the thread from Genesis chapter 12 all the way uh, to um, one of the sons, uh, one of the future descendants, and that's going to be uh, Joseph. So the point that I'm trying to make initially is that God makes these wonderful promises and he will deliver um, the promises. So we're going to ask the question, how far will God go to deliver on his promises? To what extent will God go to, uh, to be faithful to these promises? And hence, we come to the story of Joseph. And I'm not going to spend too much on the life of Joseph because he's such a famous figure in the Old Testament that I think most of you know the story of Joseph. And if you need a refresher, I would say start reading from Genesis chapter 37 and read 13 chapters, and then you will get a good picture of Joseph. And it's a wonderful story. Uh, you'll learn so much. You'll be so encouraged, and you will see God's providence all over the life of Joseph. And there will be great insight because um, they're going through not a pandemic, but they're going through um, a difficult time, and that is um, a huge famine. Uh, so there'll be a lot of points of context and a lot of ways God will speak to your heart. So if you need a refresher, please, uh, by all means, read Genesis 37 to 50, and there will be great encouragement for you. Um, Joseph was the beloved son um, of, of, of Jacob, and his brothers were jealous of him because he had uh, two sets of dreams, and they're all bowing to him. Uh, so there was a lack of wisdom and maybe um, young foolishness that uh, characterized uh, Joseph. But nevertheless, um, he was loved by his, his father. Um, his brothers concocted a plan um, to get rid of him. He was sold into slavery, and we read about that in chapter 37. Um, in and within that favor, he becomes um, the administrators, the captain of the security um, of uh, the pharaoh. And so he has a lot of freedom. Uh, it just so happens that Potiphar's wife um, is attracted to him. Uh, but because Joseph is a righteous man, he is not going to fall. He's falsely accused, and he's thrown into prison. Uh, it seems from my reading, he's in prison for at least uh, two years. Um, he's able to interpret a, a pair of dreams, uh, the cupbearer and the baker, and one's um, decapitated and his head is put on a pole. Uh, that was the interpretation of the dream. It happened exactly as David predicted. Um, the other is taken out of prison and he's put back into the court of Pharaoh and he becomes uh, once again the cupbearer. And it says very clearly in the text that the cupbearer forgets him. And so he is in prison for at least uh, two years. Um, what happens then is uh, Pharaoh has a dream. Um, and this dream bothers him. And he has two dreams and no one can interpret it. But then someone says, you know, I met a Hebrew who can interpret dreams. And um, he interprets the pair of dreams. And he is elevated. And we come to our passage um, today. And when we look at our passage, it's really interesting to me um, to see David, uh, to see Joseph and his life. And when I look at Joseph, um, the reason why I chose this passage is because um, something good happens to Joseph. And he is able to have two sons. And the two sons uh, that he has are Manasseh and Ephraim. 
And he names them, these names, and the text tells us um, the meaning of these names. That's what I want to focus on just for um, a couple of minutes now. Now, I think someone like Joseph, who went through so many difficult times, um, his hope is dimming. Um, and he probably lost um, a lot of hope in the promises of God. Uh, now, certain good things are happening to him. He's being elevated. Yes, that is true. Um, he has born, his wife has borne him two sons. That is good. Uh, but look at what he names his sons. Um, he named his first son Manasseh. And it means, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. Now, that is not a name that is filled with hope. Um, let me read that again. Uh, it is because God made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. In fact, it's the opposite of hope. Uh, there is no inclination of Genesis chapter 12. Um, there is no inclination. Ah, oh, God has uh, raised me from the pit. And I see the providential hand of God working. And now I, I see that I will be a blessing to the nations, not because of who I am, but because of the promises of God. There is nothing of that in the name Manasseh. In fact, he says, well, I'm going to name my son Manasseh, but I'm going to forget my troubles. And I'm going to forget my household. And so here, Joseph is not one that is filled with hope, in my opinion. And so he has another son, and he names his son Ephraim, and this is what it means. It is because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And what he's underlining is, yeah, fruitfulness, uh, but it's a fruitfulness apart from, from God, in a sense. And it's a fruitfulness um, in the context of his suffering. So I think what's going through Joseph's mind is, you know, I suffered all these years, my brothers have sold me into slavery. I was falsely accused. I was forgotten in a dungeon in prison. Now I'm finally elevated. And there is some fruitfulness in my life. But it's not the hope that is focused on the promises of God. And so I think at this point, um, Joseph is a, is a faithful man in what, what he does. And God is with him. God able to give him insights, especially when it comes to the interpretation of dreams. But the, the greater narrative is something that he probably is forgetting or has forgotten. Um, and, and, and so there is some hope, but it's not a, a robust hope that Joseph has. But as we follow uh, the narrative, uh, things begin to change uh, for Joseph. And this is where we can derive a lot of encouragement as well. But before we get there, I just want to underline that even though Joseph is this great person, uh, there's a weakness and hope. And I want to say I can understand um, that we're um, that when we go through difficult times, we can dim in our hope. Um, the pandemic could make us hopeless, and um, because of the divisiveness, even within the church, we can we can hope less. And those are natural reflexes in a sense. Um, but God is calling it to something greater. And he's calling us to something greater because God is a God of great promises and his promises are true. And we have to ask ourselves then to what extent God will go um, to fulfill his promises. And so we go back to the story of Joseph. And when we go back to the story of Joseph, um, we see the hand of God in the most um, amazing ways. Um, because um, he interprets the dream, as you all know, and there's going to be seven years of plenty 
and seven years of famine. And God gives wisdom um, to Joseph, and he does not expect this to happen. Um, the famine is so great in its extent uh, that two years of famine, the world is coming to Egypt for grain. And one of those um, uh, groups that comes is a group of brothers. And he realizes that that group of brothers um, is actually his own family. And so he meets them. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And he pieces the life and that there is a, a younger brother. And to make a long story short, he embraces them and he blesses them. And um, as he blesses them, the brothers are, of course, afraid. Um, that David is going to seek retribution and do something um, to harm them or to trick them and to deceive harm them because of what they had done to Joseph all those years later. But then we come to these beautiful words, um, and Joseph speaks these beautiful words to his brothers, um, and he says, um, you intended harm for me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And he actually writes that twice. He writes that in chapter 50, verse 20, but he also writes it probably around chapter 46 or so, or 47. And he says the same thing, but he also adds the little detail to save the remnant of God. And so David's theology and his understanding of what is taking place is expanding. And what David is, not David, I keep on saying David, what Joseph is um, beginning to understand is that God was orchestrating all of this. And if you think about it from that perspective, it really is remarkable. So God was over the evil of his brothers, sending him into slavery. And God was over the evil and the false accusation of Potiphar's wife. And God was over the fact that um, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph, even though Joseph uh, interpreted that dream perfectly for him. And he lingered in that dungeon for an additional two years, it was perfect timing because that's exactly where he needed to be for God uh, to bring him up to Pharaoh to interpret this dream. And not only that, God was over the fact that Pharaoh, his heart would be completely open. And at one point it says he's even become a father to Pharaoh. So uh, functionally speaking, he is the Lord over all of Egypt. And he has this plan to um, build these storehouses and put all the grain there. And the question is, why? And I think when we ask the question, why, we come to David's theological formulation, and that is to save the remnant of God. And if it is to save the remnant of God, why did God, God do that? He does that because... All the nations of the earth will be blessed through the patriarch's family. So God has orchestrated all of this, and he goes through this amazing extent to save the people of God. That's absolutely remarkable. And so what we see here is that God will go through all the extent possible to be faithful to Joseph and his family to save the people of God so that eventually uh, the people of God will be a blessing to the world. And that is absolutely staggering um, because the whole narrative for 13 chapters, um, we see incredible maneuvering 
um, things that are completely unexpected, uh, things that we would have never thought about or calculated, and yet at the same time, God is behind it all, and he's doing that to save uh, this family, because this family will now settle in Goshen, and this family will produce great believers like, like Moses, and this family uh, will ultimately birth the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see writ large, right in this context, also the idea of spiritual warfare, uh, because we see that Satan wants to stamp out this family and extinguish this family, and wants to literally kill Joseph, and wants to bring a famine, which is uh, a part of a, a curse, to stamp out the, the people of God. But even then, God is faithful all the way to the end um, to ultimately bring about the Messiah. So when we look at the story of Joseph, we have to also look forward and really say, God is so faithful, and he will go so far to be faithful that he will ultimately uh, preserve this family and this lineage in order to bring about the Messiah. And when, he, when, we bring about, when we talk about the Messiah and bring about the Messiah, then we also have to talk about, ultimately, um, the Lord Jesus and his perfect obedience and his death upon the cross. Um, so the question of how far God will go um, to be faithful to his promises and bless his people is really talking about um, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how far he will go. And when we begin to uh, meditate upon that, um, the outcome will be uh, deep hope and uns unswavering hope, um, hope that um, certainly will not disappoint because it's absolutely rock solid. And so when we come um, to places in the New Testament which uh, take this idea of hope and run with it um, and couple it with the idea of faith, uh, then it's the very thing that overcomes the world. And I think this is a perspective that um, is very beneficial for me because, as we said, I mean, our country is going through a lot. And this is going to be the great challenge um, of our generation. And uh, I, I believe that God wants, I, I, I believe that God is going to bring revival to America. And I do believe that God is going to do something great through our country, um, the believers in our country. Uh, but almost all the indicators say, well, it's not going to happen. Uh, but God is faithful to his church. Um, God will go through the extent. And um, one of the things that has encouraged me recently, um, and this is something that uh, missionary Brian shared, and many of you guys know him, and he made a really profound point. There's only two nations on earth um, that have their foundations um, rooted in God, and that is Israel, and that is America. And so... Um, I believe that the church will rise um, in America and um, the church will be healing um, to the nation and it will speak truth and embody love. And just as we heard some of the stories really show a posture of servanthood and humility and strength. Um, and in order for us to, to, to get there, uh, we must not lose hope. Uh, we must live a life of faith and therefore, I want to encourage you this morning um, that there, there might be darkness and there might be hardships um, that we're going through now and hardships and darkness that we will go through in the coming months and maybe in the coming years. Um, but I pray that uh, we would see this narrative and it's, it's unbelievable how much God cared for Joseph and his family. Um, he will move a nation. Uh, to bless 
this family. And God will move the world to bless his church through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the God that we serve even now. And so the Lord is over politics. The Lord is over geopolitical things. And believe it or not, he will move for the benefit of his church. So imagine um, what Joseph thought at the end of his life. Wow, God moved the most powerful, arguably, the most powerful nation on earth to protect his remnant. Maybe he thought that at the end of his life. And when we fast forward, maybe uh, the apostles, as they were writing and penning the New Testament, they thought, wow, God moved and shaped the contours of history, everything, to bring out the Messiah in the fullness of time. Now, I believe we can say the same thing. God is moving the nations in 2020. And he's over all things to bless his church so that his church will be a blessing to this world. Now, that is a grand statement. Uh, but I, th- I believe it's true. Because God is working all things for good for his church. And nothing is outside of that scope. So what's the outcome? The outcome, my friends, would be great hope no matter what. There is, a, there is one who is in control and there is one laboring and working for good, which means we must be a people of hope. We must be a people of faith. So don't lose hope in this season. Deepen in that hope, deepen in your convictions. Um, continue to serve people, meet people, and continue to, to lift up prayers and build yourself up and love people, and serve them. Continue to do the things that God has put in your heart and called you to do, because none of those things um, in the end um, will be in vain, because there is this grand narrative, and we're living within that narrative. And um, what what he does for Joseph is pretty remarkable, I would say, even though I think Joseph wavered. It's pretty remarkable what God did for the New Testament church, Um, But you know what? I think um, we're going to see the same thing. And so we need to be ready. And in order to be ready, we need to be a people of hope. And so I pray that the next seasons um, of our lives will be filled with um, just um, excitement for the Lord as we see how uh, this story unfolds. Um, Because I do believe that they will be blessing for the people of God and that we will make a huge impact um, in the world. And I do believe that God is working in a powerful way. Um, But we need to have hope um, during this time. So that's what I wanted to share with you um, uh, this morning, this this perspective. Um, How far will God go? Well, he'll go all the way because he uh, did not spare his own son, uh, but gave him up for us all. So praise the Lord and um, amen. And thank you for your time. So let me close this in a, uh, a word of prayer then. Uh, gracious Father, I pray that we would um, never lose hope um, in this season. Um, in fact, I pray, Lord God, that uh, we um, would deepen in our hope and strengthen our hope during this time. Um, so I pray that um, 
the news and the media would not um, shape our vision of what's going on. Um, I pray that even our emotions sometimes that are fallen would not shape um, our vision of what's going on. But I pray that uh, your word uh, would shape our lives. Uh, We pray that your promises um, will be the things that we hold on to. And I pray that those things would shape our outlook um, in our families uh, as we interact with uh, our children and our spouses and our friends, uh, as we interact with coworkers, um, as we walk about our city. Um, I pray, God, that um, hope would rise in our hearts and in our communities. And I pray that we would realize that the best is yet to come um, because um, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will return. And until that day, um, you're going to work to bless this world so that this world will know you. And you're going to use your your bride to do that, uh, which means you're going to use us, Lord God. Um, so I pray that um, good news and all the, the folks here on this call um, would have this this outlook and they would be encouraged um, and they would shake off um, um, anything that is inconsistent with hope. Uh, for the sake of Jesus, our Lord, we pray these things. Amen.